0: And welcome in to the first edition of Rolling with the Tribe here on Apple Podcasts. My name is Peter Knapp. Welcome to the new podcast, Rolling with the Tribe. My name is Peter Knapp. As many of you know, if you've listened to me for any length of time over on WJCU 88.7 FM here in Cleveland, you know that I've hosted a a show in the summer called Tribe Week in Review. Well, that is essentially what we're doing with this podcast. Uh, Obviously, given the pandemic and everything going on, I was not able to. Um, I was not able to uh, start my radio show in in May as I normally would uh, in the summer because no one knew if there was going to be a baseball season. But now that, the, that there is a baseball season, I finally got this uh, podcast underway, which I'm grateful for. A lot of things to discuss as I record this on Tuesday, August 18th. the The Indians are about to take on the Pittsburgh Pirates, as they have a three-game series with the Pittsburgh Pirates and are looking to continue their winning streak as they swept the Detroit Tigers over the weekend, which is no surprise considering the fact that they made it 20 in a row over the Detroit Tigers, an amazing streak against the Detroit Tigers, an amazing winning streak. A lot to discuss with the Indians uh, so far this year. I mean, their offense has been pretty... Um, uh, pretty stagnant, uh, pretty stagnant at times and it's starting to warm up. So we'll talk about that. Um, we're going to hear from Terry Francona and some of his postgame comments from throughout the year. We're going to, uh, hear some of his postgame comments. Uh, and we're going to hear from, uh, people like Tom Hamilton, uh, possibly uh, Curtis Danberg, the Senior Director of Communications. So in, in future podcasts, we're going to have interviews coming up. But this being the first podcast, it's going to be pretty simple. Uh, we're going to hear from Terry Francona, as I mentioned. Um, and, and we're going to talk some general some general baseball as there's a lot of interesting things going on, especially in this very weird year of COVID. I'm going to talk the... Uh, talk the st louis cardinals who the indians play later this week um they have had a really interesting season we'll get into that and believe it or not it is still possible for the st louis cardinals to play a, a 60 game season despite all of their postponements i'll i'll talk about that but unfortunately uh unfortunately for the indians they have off the field news that we have that we have to deal with that has been in the news for uh, the past ten days or so here, as many as as you all know, Zach Plecak and Mike Clevenger got busted for leaving their hotel in Chicago on a road trip, and therefore uh, they have been disciplined by the team. The, uh, it was decided that they would be away from the team for at least ten days as they were sent home from. Um, s- sent home from Detroit in rental cars on Friday um and they uh, and they are currently with the um w- with the single a affiliate the uh w- the lake county squad the taxi squad out there in uh lake county at uh, classic park and so before we go any further uh because i because because I want to be fair to these uh players before I before I respond to everything that is going on, I want to play for you the entire video. I want to play for you the entire thing that Zach Plesak recorded about this incident. Uh, because I, I want to let his words speak for themselves and not misquote them or take them out of context. And then I have a lot to say about those words. So let's first let's first hear what Zach Plesak had to say and then we'll go from there. And I'll have comments about it.
1: What's up, guys? Happy Thursday. Uh, I want to get on here and and clear the air on some stuff. Kind of voice my opinion, voice um, some raw emotion to you guys. And and get out the truth so that you guys um, can kind of understand what's happening. So we can all be on the same page. Because the media really... Is 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 terrible, man. The, the media is terrible, and they do some evil evil things to create stories and to make things sound better, uh, makes things sound worse. And truthfully, I'm disgusted the way the media has handled this whole situation um, surrounding our team. And this is why, based on my my feelings, I want to get on here and express the truth to you guys, and and moving forward, kind of the the learning experience and maybe some things taken away from this whole experience, but yeah, out in Chicago, um, we, we played the white Sox in a day or a couple of days prior to, to leaving for this trip. The MLB came up with these new protocols that required a curfew and, and some other things that would keep us more isolated as, as baseball players and contain us more in, in like a bubble type sense. Um, And after my start, I went out to dinner with some buddies. We ended up going back to his place, same group that we went to dinner with. And we opened up baseball cards, picked our top two dudes from each pack. We're throwing bets down, you know, just having a good time, hanging out. Um, We broke curfew. I came back late and I was reported by MLB security being out in public and coming back late to curfew and the president of baseball operations decided to quarantine me for three days so that just in case, you know, if I was exposed to COVID, then it wouldn't spread to the rest of the team. And it was a great decision on his part. So I did my, you know, my time. I rode in a car service back to Cleveland and I have quarantined for three days. And I've had to take take these nasal swabs, um, both negative and I asked the doctor you know today first off what is a safe environment for us to be in you know because these are inevitable you're gonna see people you're gonna socially interact based on you can't sit in a room all day is the truth of the matter so you I wanted to know how we can be safe and moving forward how I can basically make sure no one else gets put at risk, who are at high risk and danger and I asked him, what is the CDC, like, protocol? Like, how many people is considered a safe gathering? He wasn't sure. He said it just changed, like, state to state. And I said, okay, what is Ohio's protocol for just this state? And he didn't have an answer for me. And I just did a little bit of research, and I found out that it's changing, you know, day to day. And 10 people or less is considered a very safe gathering safe gathering especially if you're six feet apart and that entire night dinner and hanging out at buddy's place after we were not with more than eight people the entire night so media has portrayed me my my best friend and teammate to be malicious with our actions when we were really you know not justifying what we did because we left the hotel and according to new rules we weren't supposed to leave but according to CDC and these guidelines with Corona, we were practicing safe practices in a small group with people who we know have been tested and came back to to our our curfew late, which was 10 p.m. and and clearly been exposed as being bad teammates, bad people, and dragged across the mud, you know. Um, So, it's hard to sit here and kind of watch how things shuffle out and people not knowing the truth. And um, I wanted to kind of voice, I guess, you know, my opinion. And I understand that there are risks people are taking to play this game. And the last thing I would want to do is put anybody at risk. The last thing I would want to do, my little brother has type 1 diabetes, my mom's a nurse. I understand the significance of this illness and this disease and I know how important it is that we must follow certain procedures and, and guidelines to ensure safety for the entirety of a group so it, it breaks my heart you know for people to to think I'm a bad teammate or a bad person um, but I wanted to share with you guys you know that moving forward you know there is a selflessness lesson taught here and at the end of the day i want everybody to be healthy i want to be a good teammate i want to win baseball games man that's all i want to do so whatever it takes for me to get back on that diamond and start shoving it up people trust me i'll be ready when they when they need me but i wanted to get on here and and just express to you guys kind of the truth of what happened, how this whole thing kind of got blown into a case study on on coronavirus and, um, you know, moving forward, I want you guys to know that the most important thing to me is, is my teammates and my family and the people I care about. And, you know, I care about all you guys, if you care about me I appreciate you, but I just want you to know there's no malicious acts being taken by anybody, me or my teammate, and all we want is the best for everyone and for us to win, so sorry for my rant. If you guys spent the time to watch this, thank you.
0: Okay, well, that was (laughs) that was a crap show, to be quite honest. That was a crap show. Okay, now that is a perfect example of what not to do Okay, that is that is a perfect example of what not to do when you're in Zach Poissac's situation. Okay, now look, I'll be fair here. Okay, I can understand where he's coming from to a certain degree. Look, every you know every 24, 25 year old wants to wants to go out with friends and have and have fun. When they're, when they're on the road, especially Chicago. Chicago's a wonderful city. I've been to Chicago many times, uh, t- traveling around the country to see the tribe play. I love Chicago. I can totally understand why a 24-year-old would want to go out with friends in Chicago and have a good time and, and come home, you know, and come back to the hotel late and break curfew. I can understand that. As a fellow twenty-four-year-old, okay, but the bottom line is, you signed a contract with very, um, with very detailed expectations, okay. And when you sign a contract with very detailed expectations, and you know exactly what those are before you decide to go out, you know, before you go on the road trip i don't care whether you talked to a doctor and 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 that makes you think that what you're doing is putting people at very little risk. You might be right that it's putting people at very little risk, but the but the bottom line is you sign a contract to agree to do to follow a certain protocol. and yes, we all know that this current situation with everyone being kind of locked down uh, locked down in place and very little to no social gatherings and whatnot, it sucks, right? We all know that it sucks. Nobody wants to go through it. You know, no no 24 year old wants to be cooped up in a hotel. Uh, when they're traveling to Chicago, okay? I've been to Chicago many times. No 24, 25-year-old wants to be cooped up in a hotel when when you're spending se- several days in Chicago. But come on, man. <laughs> you... <laughs> you are... You are a professional athlete and, and you... And, and, first, and first of all, his, his rant about how the media is, is so evil... ...and how the media portrays things. Breaking news. You are a professional athlete. And as such, your actions are going to be scrutinized. If you don't like it... ...then you can give up your multi-million dollar contract... ...to play professional baseball... And then you won't be facing the scrutiny of professional athletes. Would you like to trade in that multi-million dollar a year contract so that you don't face the scrutiny of a professional athlete? I didn't think so. Okay? So, I mean, so again, as a 24 or, or you know, as a 24 or 25 year old, I can understand how much it sucks to be sitting in a hotel room and not do all the social things that you want to do on the road. But the bottom line is you signed a contract as a professional athlete to to play a sport and agree to essentially live as a you know to to live as a monk essentially live as a monk in a monastery while you're while while you're on the road, that's essentially what Major League Baseball players are required to do this year in in order to receive um uh in order to receive their full prorated multi million dollar contracts. That's that's what they and the players union agreed to. If you don't like it, Zach, please Zach, complain to your players rep at the um for for the players union, but. Come on, you cannot do that. Okay, and I and I want to I want to make I want to make a a contra, a compare and contra a contrast here between because uh, I, I want to talk about the Indians organizations uh, the the Indians organizations response to this Zach Police and Mike Clubinger breaking protocol and breaking curfew because I think it says a lot about about the Indians organization as a whole. Okay, let's let's compare and contrast. Uh, let's compare and contrast what the Cleveland Indians did with what with with what the Miami Marlins did um, uh, when when their when their COVID cases and incidences first came out. The Mi- the Miami Marlins front office came out and said, "Hey." The media is being really unfair with our players. Our players our players yeah, our players our players may have violated protocol, but hey, they they didn't do anything too bad. So why why is the media you know, why is the media coming down on our players? That is what the front office of the Miami Marlins said. In a in a statement to the in a statement to the media, I will gladly play it for you if you if you forget what the Miami Marlins uh, front office said uh, in def, in defense of their players. Pretty soon after it happened, you co- you contrast that with with the Indians. When this when this when this incident happened, the the Indians. Quarantined, um, quarantined. Zach, please, and Mike Clovinger out of an abundance of caution, and th- and then Terry and then Terry Francona came out and told and t- and told the media, we love we love these guys, and you know they- they're good, they're g- they're generally speaking good guys, and good teammates. But you know, but they broke, the- they broke a major rule. What I mean. What usually doesn't seem like a major rule, but in 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 2020 with the coronavirus and this Major League baseball season, they broke what is a what is a major no no, and and so Terry Francona essentially came out, you know, on the Indians radio network and said, initially he said we don't know what the punishment will be, but 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 we have to take time, we're gonna take time to let emotions. Die down, so we don't make a, a rash decision, and and punish these guys too harshly. But there will be a punishment because because they screwed up, and they're good guys, and and they can come back and help us. But they screwed up, and they and there has to be consequences for that. Terry Francona runs his his team you know, much like a father talks to his talks to his children. You know, there's got to be a punishment, but then after that, you know, I'm I'm still gonna I'm still gonna love you. That's kind of how, um, that's kind of how um, Terry Francona and and the Indians organization run their ship. And so, first of all, you you contrast that with the Miami Marlins who said, who came out and. Essentially, did what Zach Playsack did, which is, which is screw the media. The media is being unfair, and 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 so on and so forth. Again, I've got news for you. Yes, I I agree with you that the, that the media can be pretty disgusting at times because they're trying to dig for a story, and and in a process, maybe occasionally they can they can they can really do damage. To the you know to the relationships on teams by go by going somewhere they shouldn't with a story and whatnot. I'm not I'm not disagreeing that there that there is media malpractice. I'm saying that in in this case it's there certainly wasn't either with the Miami Marlins or with or with the Cleveland Indians uh, players. And I think the I think the Indians did a did a both a smart and a gutsy thing. I mean cuz cause, cause the Indians took took two pitchers out of the starting rotation. I mean this is not this is not like a bench player, you know, or your number 9 hitter, you know, that you can take out of the lineup for for 10 day, for you know, for 10 days and it's not going to you know, and it's not, and it's not going to be as visible or have maybe as you know, as, as big of an impact on a game. You're talking about punishing your, um, you know, your two of your best uh, st- uh, starting pitchers um, in the in the rotation, and that is that is huge. That the Indians would send two of their best pitchers, you know, to, to <laughs> send them to Lake County and say, you know, you're going to have to go <laughs> go back to the minor leagues for ten days and don't let the door hit you in the ass. Essentially, uh, you know, that's essentially what. Essentially, what the Indians did, and players on the Indians team, uh, you know, wanted that to happen. You know, obviously, um, obviously, the specific details of the of the players only meet if the players only meeting, um, you know, on this thing that happened in Detroit on Friday have not been released, and nor should they, because it's a team, it's a team specific thing, and so. I think, I think, I think the Indians have handled this much better than than the Miami Marlins did, and, and as a result, the the Indians have had have not had to miss any games, which cannot be said for teams like the Miami Marlins. I, I have to I have to give the Indians they handled it very well because um, I, I don't I don't think there are many teams that that would voluntarily allow. Two of their starting pitchers to miss, um, you know, to miss two starts essentially, um, you know, or miss ten days. Um, I think I think that decision was made a little bit easier by the fact that the Indians have one of the one of the deepest starting ro- or the deepest starting rotation in all of Major League Baseball. I think that was definitely a major help. And uh, so, bottom line for Zach, please I'm sorry, just. Shut shut your mouth. I mean, because you know, I, I don't want to you know I don't want to get into the whole you know, shut up and pitch thing, you know like shut shut up and dribble. I don't want to s- say that, that, but when it comes to yeah, you know, but but when it comes to like internal stuff, I think I think everything I think everything that uh, Zach Pleissack just said in that Instagram video that I played for you. Should, should have been if he wanted to say that he should have said it directly to his teammates but not on the world wide web I mean as a I mean as anybody who's been on social media knows social media is the devil and it can only get you in trouble and especially as a professional athlete you should know that. And so again I give I give the Indians a, a lot of credit for um for being willing to let two of their starting pitchers go. I think a lot of I think a lot of teams would have looked the other way, especially considering the fact that um I mean I I just think that the Indians are the most the most classy and upstanding and uh the Indians organization has a good moral compass, is what I'll say. The Indians organization has a good moral compass, and I, and I think, and I and I think this proves it by the fact that they they are willing to punish two of their starting pitchers just like they would, you know, um, a utility guy, um, you know, on a utility guy on the bench, and I think that says a lot about 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 the Indians, and I think. You wouldn't see you wouldn't see that from a, uh, from other teams, especially um, you know if something like this happened to the team that I call the Houston Kiss My Astros, I I, I think <laughs> I think that if if this happened in Houston, for example, you know it, it would there might have been a stern talking to or something, but there wouldn't have been such a uh, such a direct uh, notification. Of hey, you are going down to the minors, and um, you know I I think it's gonna t- it's gonna take a while for for the team to be comfortable again with with uh, uh, Zach Pisak and Mike Clovinger pitching because I I think you know this Instagram video only <laughs> only made things worse. I think if 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 those guys were to shut up and go down to and go down to Lake County and. And then get on the mound and you know and and strike out uh, ten guys in every start. You know that's how you gain respect with your with your team. Again, I I know as a twenty four year old, I know that all these restrictions that have been placed on everybody in society. Bottom line is they suck, but I do think that they definitely are necessary um, and. Bottom line is, even if you don't think that every little rule is is necessary, you are a professional athlete, Zach Plisak, and you knew those rules going in. And when you sign a contract, especially for God's sake, when you sign a multi-multi-million dollar contract and you are earning those multi-millions of dollars, in a global pandemic where a lot of people have lost their jobs, yeah, th- yeah, I've got rules for you. the ru- the The rules may suck, but guess what? Just follow them and show a little bit of humility. And for God's sake, stay off Instagram while w- while you are while you are being disciplined. You know, he he said, I just want to share with you raw raw emotion. Here's a tip for you: if you start a video with the words, I want to share with you Raw emotion—that's probably not a video you should post on social media. Raw emotion and social media do not go together well. And I think Zach Pleissack is is learning is learning that the hard the hard way. We're gonna hear from uh, Terry Fancona on this topic and and other topics uh, coming up. I'm gonna talk about. Uh, uh, how I think Major League Baseball has handled this handled this thing, all things considered. Uh, so we have a lot more coming up. Stay tuned. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, coming up, we'll have more coming up right here on Rolling with the Tribe, the new podcast right here on Apple Podcasts with Peter and Ebb. You're listening to Rolling with the Tribe. And welcome back to the new podcast, Rolling with the Tribe, here on Apple Podcasts. My name is Peter Nabb. I said before the break that we were going to hear from Manager Terry Francona, and we will hear from Manager Terry Francona uh, coming up, certainly in podcasts uh, coming up, if not later in this podcast. However, I have a special treat for you. On Thursday, um, that would be Thursday, August 20th, I got a chance to meet, uh, I got a chance to talk with, Tom Hamilton, the voice of the tribe, and I got a chance to talk with him about a lot of these topics that I've a- I've already discussed with you. The uh, you know, you know the Zach Pisack and my uh, my situation. Um, I I got a chance to talk to you about the te- uh, to talk to him about the team's offense. I got a chance to um to to talk to him about how he thinks Major League Baseball has handled the season in general. So rather than hear me ramble on it more. Uh, Right now, I'm going to give you a break and let you hear the voice of the tribe, Tom Hamilton, as we had a very interesting conversation, and this was recorded on the evening of Thursday, August 20th. Take a listen to this interesting conversation we had. Uh, Tom Hamilton uh, joins us here on the podcast. Uh, Thank you, Hammy, for uh, making the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for making the time. Obviously, the Indians started uh, started out very slowly offensively, and and really kind of um, and really kind of sputtered uh, sputtered, and were chasing everything uh, for, uh, for the first uh, uh, for the first uh, I would say two and a half weeks or so, and and now in the last six games, they I mean they've really started to uh, put the offense together. I know it was against. Uh, uh, poor competition, but based on what you've seen in the past uh, in this six-game winning streak, what have you noticed in their in their approach at the play?
2: Well, I just, uh, you know, I think uh, some of the guys are getting the pitch that they want to swing at and doing damage when they get it. A lot of times when you're slumping, it's either a byproduct of you're swinging at everything and you're not giving yourself a chance, or if you are putting yourself in the hitter's count, you get your pitch to hit, you miss it. And so I think right now we've seen in particular with a guy like uh, Carlos Santana. You know, recently he has been able to do damage late in games that, you know, maybe he's only had that one hit in that game, but it's a game that's, a, you know, decided by that one swing of the bat. So, you know, it, it uh, I, I know it, it's late from the standpoint that, You know we're closing in on the halfway point of this regular season but in essence we wouldn't even be through the month of april in a normal season so i still think that (laughs) everything is really being magnified because it is such a short season and so some of this would take care of itself if you were playing 162 games that's not the case so some way somehow these guys have to find a a way to relax not try and do too much and then I think they'll be
0: okay. Yeah, um, one of one of the uh, one of the hitters uh, one of the hitters in the Indians offense that is um, that is that has been that has had an interesting year that that, that you just mentioned is Carlos Santana. He's got a, a pretty darn good on base percentage, um, but that but that's because he's uh, walked uh, twenty seven times, and you know he's he's batting under. Uh, He's batting under 200, but you wouldn't know that by looking at his on-base on percentage. Uh, obviously, obviously, the Indians are going to be looking for more out of that out of that four spot. I mean, it's great to be walking, but that four spot has got to get you more, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, he only had four RBIs up until the series in Pittsburgh, and I I don't know many teams that have a good offense if their cleanup there has four RBIs. So. You know, it's a fine line that Carlos walks in that he has a great idea of the strike zone. That's obvious when you see him walk 100 times a year. And yet, when you're hitting cleanup, you need him at times to expand that strike zone a little bit when he's got a chance to do damage and drive in runs. And I think he's done a better job of that this week. And so hopefully that continues because unless Ramirez, Lindor and Santana uh if if they hit this club will be fine. If they don't hit, then this club will not score many runs the rest of the year.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned uh, uh one of the uh, one of the hitters that you mentioned there was uh Frankie Lindor. Um no secret that obviously Frankie Lindor hasn't been hasn't been Frankie Lindor offensively. Uh do you think that's just a byproduct of of hitters in general not being ready for uh you know not not being what, where they'd like to be at this point or or do, or do you think he's uh he's pre- pressing cuz he's cuz he's always trying to hit that uh you know uh, s- uh sign that next contract with uh you know with one swing uh you know with so f- with so few games in the season
2: Yeah, I don't think the contracts an issue. I, I really don't. Frankie's very good. at, separating what goes on on the field and the business aspect is when you're off the field. And I don't really think Francisco gets caught up in that at all. Uh, first off, he's not a free agent at the end of this year, and so I don't think that that's really at the forefront of his thinking. You know, if this were next year, then, then, then you might have uh, a situation where a guy can be impacted by his upcoming free agency. So I don't think that's the issue with Frankie. I just think he's tried to do too much. And that's what happens, and that's kind of what we talked about with Carlos Santana. You've got to walk that fine line that, you know, what Frankie has done is really expanded the strike zone to the point where it's been detrimental and that he's getting himself out and pitchers don't have to throw him a strike. And so Frankie's just got to get back and, you know, use the whole field just kind of try to make hard contact, not worry about getting home runs. And, again, I I still think he's going to be fine. He, he's too good a player. He's too prideful. You know, he wants so badly to, to do well and have this ball club win that I, I think he'll eventually figure it out. At the end, talent usually wins out, and, and there's not a more talented club or a more talented player on this club than Frankie Lindor.
0: Now you mentioned the the ability to separate the um, the on the field from off the field. Uh, we had a um, the the Indians had a situation very recently where those uh, those those two things have have collided uh, to the point where uh, two of the best in their starting rotation are you know are away from the team. I would say uh, without question the best starting rotation. In, in baseball, they develop pitching like nobody else, and so my question is: Do you think that do you think that, that might have any uh, might have had any impact on how the Clevenger and Plesak's, uh the Clubbinger and Plesak's situation was handled? Um, and and what have you heard as to when they may be join, uh, joining the team again?
2: Well, first, no, I don't think uh, there was anything that whether or not. The club had enough pitching that they could punish these guys. This had nothing to do with the club on the field because no team ever has enough pitching, and when you take two of the best pitchers in the American League out of your rotation, I don't care how deep your rotation is, that's going to have an impact, and that is going to hurt you long term. But the Indians felt like, based on their meetings with the players, and based on their meetings with Clevenger and Plesack, that at this point, this was what made the club best. And they basically, you know, had to have some consequences for those guys' decision. Otherwise, why have rules? Why have protocols to follow? Then everybody else is going to feel like they can do whatever they want to do as well. So, no, this, this was simply, look, the players made mistakes. They weren't honest about it. And then there for a while, they really were not accepting accountability for their mistakes. And so I think that this situation could have been diffused a lot quicker had the two guilty parties maybe reacted differently than what they did after they had been caught. So when they come back, I have no idea. We do know they have to be down there 10 days. And that began a week ago. So they're not eligible to come back until early next week and whether or not they're back with the ball club next week I have no idea
0: I think it meant a lot to the to the players that management was willing to um, you know was willing to send um, to send some of your starting uh, you know your starting rotation down to the the alternate camp uh, because I I think that I think as an organization that's how that's how they build uh, trust as an organization you know they they treat they treat a uh, you know they treat a you know a bench player the same they would a, a member of the starting rotation and I, I don't think I, I don't think that's the case around baseball and it, sa- it says something about the Indians organization. I agree. And I think that Terry Francona has proven that when he, yeah, you know, when he punishes players, he does it, you know, in what I would describe as a very fatherly way, you know, you know, serve your punishment, and then, I'll, and then I'll still, and then I'll still, you know, I'll still love you, you know, kind of thing. And I think, I think, mm-hmm. I think he's done a great job of that. I wanted to ask you some que- some questions about. Baseball in general, this 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 weird this weird season that that we that we've had this year. Uh, one one of them would be. Are you surprised that because um, when when the when the Miami Marlins and 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 the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, were not, were not able to play games for for as long as they were. I was kind of, I was kind of surprised that they that they that they were able to you know that, that they wanted to schedule as many double hiders and that they didn't just say hey, look, you guys uh, broke protocol, you have a, a breakout on your team, you're done for the for the season. are you surprised? Are you surprised that um that the Car- the Cardinals for example are you surprised that that Major League Baseball didn't just say hey and I give I give Major League Baseball credit for this but are you surprised Major League Baseball didn't just say hey you guys uh, violated policy sorry you guys you guys can't try to you know can't try to can't try to catch up to us because because it's it's, ama- it's amazing to me that that they're gonna you know try try to get as close to 60 games as possible given how much time they took off.
2: Yeah, you know it uh, it's a dilemma, no question about it. If if you take them out of the equation, um, then it it impacts everybody. So yep, I I don't know what the right answer is, Peter. I mean, obviously these teams. That have to play all these double headers against the cardinals they're impacted as well so i believe st louis when it's all said and done has 11 double headers scheduled so I, i don't know how a team gets through that but i also think that there are some teams that followed protocol that didn't have the corona outbreak that are being punished by having to play double headers as well so and I don't know that there is a, a perfect solution.
0: We talked about uh, we just talked about how th- how the Indians handled the you know ha- handled the police act and Clovis situation, and that and that is kind of a stark contrast to, to how the uh, how the Mi- Miami Marlins uh, uh, when they had their outbreak, uh, their their fr- their front office came out and, and and said how they didn't like how the media portray- portraying their players and you know while that might be true, you know, just like the, uh, just like the police acting covers of situation. I don't think that should have been public, but, um, but one other thing I want to ask you about major league baseball in general, in general, with these new rules, uh, the, the, the runner on second and, um, and seven inning double headers based on what you've seen, based on how you've seen that play out this season do you think it's possible that one or both of those could become uh, permanent staples after the end of this strange season?
1: Yeah, it's a good
2: question. Um, I don't know. I,
3: I, I
2: wouldn't be surprised if the extra inning rule got uh, put into effect uh, at least up until the playoffs. Although I don't have any problem with it in post season either. I, I guess I'm, I'm a traditionalist, but I also feel like, boy, you have to be able to adapt and make some changes and not just always say whatever is new is wrong. And so I actually like the extra inning rule. I did not think I would initially. I thought it was gimmicky, but I think it's actually added strategy that we normally don't get. And so, you know, everybody that hates the DH always wants to talk about the great strategy of a of a pitcher hitting and bunting and all of that, well, that's what you have when you put a runner at second with nobody out in extra innings. It brings into play, do you bunt? Um, do you, you know, try various things to move that runner over? Do you play for the big inning rather than play for one run? So I, I really like it. As far as the seven-inning doubleheaders, I'm guessing baseball will never adopt that full-time just because the game was meant to be played nine innings again i think because of everything we're dealing with with the pandemic this summer it only makes sense to play seven inning double headers and i think practicality is more important right now than long-term traditions or how you feel about the game and the way it was meant to be played again these times call for Thinking outside the box, and I think baseball's done a good job of
0: that. Yeah, I I agree, and I I think you know I th- you know when I first heard this this runner on second in extra innings rule, I kind of thought to myself, well well that could actually extend games. I, I mean, what if you have I mean, t- you know, you just have teams able to score one r- you know one run with with the. Uh, You know, with the runner on second, and then they can't score a second run to untie it. So we keep going, going, going into you know, going into extra innings. I mean, we haven't really seen that yet, but that's that's certainly a possibility that could that could actually um, that could actually extend uh, games. And one one final uh, uh, one final thing I want to get you out of here on just and this is more of a of a of a uh, question that I'm. That that I'm interested in from a, a broadcasting perspective. Have you gotten used to calling road games for, uh, from the corner of Carnegie in Ontario yet? Have you gotten used to <laughs> to, 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 to to calling road games off a of TV yet?
2: No, and uh, I hope I never do because that would mean we're doing it uh, in the future. So I, uh, I I don't like it. It is what it is, and you make the best of it. And uh, more than happy to do it again because of what we're dealing with this year, but uh, it's not the same as being at a ball game. You really miss a lot of things during the broadcast that I think you take for granted when you broadcast a game from the site uh, like we do during home games. There's just too many things that you're not able to see on a monitor that you're able to see when you're actually in a broadcast booth, but again, you make the best of it, um, it's that time where everybody needs to adapt because every business has dealt with a lot of changes in how they do uh, things and how they run their business and we've got to be likewise flexible in that regard but uh, no, i'm I'm anxious uh, to get back on the road
0: yeah I, I i can I can imagine and that kind of ties back to what what we were talking about 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 please Zach and Clovinger. look, you know, you know, every 24 year old, you know, every 24, 25 year old on the planet that d- doesn't want to be lo- locked in the, locked in their hotel room when they're on the road in Chicago. But that's what you agreed to in 2020. And so I think it's a lesson for all of us.
2: I would agree, you know, and, uh, they're good guys. I think that needs to be pointed out. They're good guys who made a mistake. We all make mistakes in life. And, uh, I worry sometimes that we're becoming a society that can't wait to point out people's mistakes and act like we're perfect, and then vilify the, the person that made the mistake. Look, we all make mistakes. We made them when we were 25. We make them when we're old, as I am now. That, that's part of being a human being, and um, there needs to be some compassion as well. But as you always treat your children uh, to the same rules, or at least you tried to raise them by those rules, You know, there are consequences for your actions, and I'm sure Zach and and Mike never really thought it would get to this point, but uh, hopefully they're back soon because they're good guys. The Indians need them if they want to have a deep run in October, and, uh, you know, you also want to make sure that you maintain the kind of chemistry that this club has had for a long time under Terry Francona
0: absolutely and and just for just for the record just for the listeners uh, t- uh, Tom Hamilton was the one that said he's old I I, I think he's very young and, s- and still got a lot of years <laughs>
2: thanks Peter
0: <laughs> all right I appreciate your time and uh, and and uh, thanks for working with me through the delay and thanks for the time again
2: oh thanks my friend anytime
0: thank you hammy uh,
2: and you take care buddy
0: that was my interview with Tom Hamilton, the voice of the tribe. He is one of the best human beings you'll ever meet in your entire life. He is a a selfless human being, and just uh, just puts everybody before himself. And if if we all conducted ourselves like Tom Hamilton uh, conducts himself, the world will be a much better place. So again, thank you to Tom Hamilton. He is one of the best mentors you could ever have, and I and I'm grateful for his friendship and mentorship as he is one of the best broadcasters he is one of the best broadcasters to ever grace the medium of radio you heard Tom Hamilton and I talk about a lot of things in that interview uh, one of the things we talked about was uh, just baseball in general how baseball in general has handled this uh, situation one interesting note about the St. Louis Cardinals that I found really interesting was believe it or not, it still is possible for the St. Louis Cardinals to play 60 games because right now uh, the double headers they have scheduled, uh, all the double headers they have scheduled, and excuse me, they had 11 uh, double headers scheduled at one point. They played some of those now, but at one point they had 11 double headers scheduled, and that that will actually get them to 58 games. But what a lot of people forget is that um, one of the options that's always available in a regular season and this strange season is that teams can play games on the day after the season, what's usually referred to as Game 163, you know, if it requires to break any ties. So what I would envision happening is if the Cardinals play... All 58 games that are scheduled with the with the double headers, then uh, and and they need to play those final two games for, uh, you know, for playoff seating or whatever. They can play a double header on the on the day after the season ends, which would be Monday, September 28th, and that will get them to 60 games. And so, believe it or not, it is still possible. Even with all this crazy crap going on in MLB, it is still possible for the St. Louis Cardinals to play 60 games this year, but that would require them not to have any more rainouts or COVID cancellations, which I don't think will happen, but as of right now, it is possible. So, just so you know about that. Um, One of the things we're going to cover on the next edition of the podcast, which which will um, which will be released very soon after the, after this one was released. So one of the things you'll see on the next uh, on the next episode of this podcast again, this is Rolling with the Tribe here on Apple Podcasts. Uh, one of the things you'll see on this next podcast is we'll talk about the major league debut of Tristan McKenzie. Tristan McKenzie is a pitcher who. Hasn't really gotten a whole lot of um, a whole lot of uh, work in the minor leagues because he uh, he was injured in all of 2019 and most of 2018. But because of the Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesac situation, he he got he got a a call up. Um, he got a call up to pitch uh, uh, on Saturday night. So that's what we're gonna cover on our next podcast. But before we do that. This kind of a preview for that I, I want to play you some audio uh, from before his first start on uh, his first major league uh, his major league debut was on Saturday night and so before we get into the results of that and how that went which we'll do on the next podcast I wanted to give you some uh, give you some um, thoughts on what they were expecting going into the game as I have, some audio from uh, Carl Willis, the pitching coach, and Sandy uh, and Sandy Alomar, the acting manager, as they as they talked to the media before b- before Tristan McKenzie got his major league got his first major league start. So let's first of all let's let's hear let's hear that first of all, and let's hear uh, let's hear what the pitching coach Carl Willis had to say when he when he met with the media before the game on Saturday, August 22nd, before Tristan McKenzie's first start.
4: Hey, uh, I asked Sandy, he said that uh, 85 pitches the most that uh, Tristan has thrown in a sim game. And basically uh, tonight you guys just going to kind of read and react, you know, how the game situation dictates for him.
3: Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, in fairness to him, I mean, we feel comfortable with that eighty eighty five 85 pitch. You know, Mark, he has done that multiple times uh, at the Lake County site. Um, so, you know, we'll we'll also monitor how he gets to that point, um, you know, try to not overextend him in, in, a, in a particular inning or, or if he has a high pitch count, say, in the third, just that third inning, you know, maybe um, we, we have to make sure we take care of him. That's first and foremost. We're really excited to see him, uh, excited about the potential. Um, but we certainly don't want to jeopardize
4: anything going forward. Carl, just how unique of a situation is this when, you know, he hasn't pitched in a, a real game in two years. Like you guys have some familiarity with him from spring training and whatnot. Um, and then just all the circumstances with like, it's not like you can play actual minor league games. Like it seems like this is, this is like very rare, just how this is all kind of played out.
3: Yeah, I mean, certainly, I I don't know if it's ever played out like this ever before with with anyone. Um, I do know that, um, you know, as I mentioned a couple of days ago, and then I talked with Tristan about it and complimented on the fact that, you know, being at the setting in Lake County where, um, you know, it's not your typical league setting where you're out, you know, trying to win the Eastern League or the International League. And, the responsibility the pitcher has for his teammates each day to, to hold a lead or go out and pitch and give your club an opportunity to win the game. I mean, it was a very unique opportunity to go out and really focus on getting better because statistics, wins and losses, uh, you know, they they weren't part of the equation. And I think he did an extremely good job with that. Now, the difference is, you know, all of a sudden, two years removed from, as you mentioned, pitching in a game where – you know, the results obviously do matter. Um, yeah, I don't know that that's ever happened before, but I think he's put himself in the best position possible to go out and give himself a chance to, to do what we need him to do.
4: Carl, what are your thoughts just on his frame and, and anything that he needs to do to be able to handle a, a, a workload over a longer period of time?
3: Well, um, I, I think it's going to be extremely important, uh, you know, for him to repeat his delivery for us to help him determine what his best delivery looks and feels like. And, and then for him to be able to go out and execute and repeat that delivery. Um, you know, if, if he gets too spread out or, you know, the timing gets off and he becomes late, you know, as with any pitcher, um, you know, he's going to put himself in, in positions that his body's not going to like. Um, you know, maybe someone with a larger frame could could handle that longer or, or get away with that a little more. Um, but really, I don't view it as a lot different than with anyone. We, we try to build efficient, repeatable deliveries because if you do that, you get, um, you know, repeatable command, you know, consistency in your pitch profiles. Um, and, and typically you stay healthy or have a chance to stay healthy.
4: Uh Carl, speaking of repeatability, uh Brad Hand has been really impressive, uh, you know, seven for seven in saves, but it seems like mechanically uh he's he's getting on top of the ball and the slider and, and the curveball have really come out of his hand a lot better as of late.
3: Yeah, he has. You know, Jensen, um, you know, we looked at some some videos and some some uh still photos, found a couple of things, you know, with that back leg, back knee. Um that, that we were able to address. We, we did a slight little uh, adjustment with his uh, warm-up routine. I think I mentioned earlier getting his body moving and then getting the body involved. And I think we've seen positive results come from that. Um, and, uh, you know, the below has started to tick up, as, as uh, we've seen, along with the sharpness, that breaking ball. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, he's – continuing to progress to get them back to, to being the brand hand we're accustomed to.
4: Carl, with how different this year is and, and the guys over in Lake County are just limited to just sim games and things like that, what, <clears throat> what's changed for you guys with uh, daily communication and keeping track of how all of them are, are doing on a daily basis?
3: Yeah, we have, um, so we, we have a channel um, on the Slack application um, and we have a group, uh, so we get information, updates, daily reports um, on a daily basis. Um, Ruben Nieblev, um talks pretty much every day uh, to Joe Torres there. I talk to Joe maybe every third day or so, or sometimes more often if something's going on with somebody. Um, but I think, you know, it's been easier to communicate because everyone's at one site. Um, you know, normally here you're really trying to uh, stay abreast of what's going on in A AA and AAA and the guys who could potentially join your club if there were a need. Well, all those guys now are at one place. So, you know, we, we have their 30-day work schedule. I mean, we, we know what's going on there every day, and, and we're seeing, you know, uh, the data and the feedback of what the guys are doing every day. So it's been really good.
0: That was pitching coach Carl Willis. Definitely very excited about the potential of Tristan McKenzie before the ball game on Saturday. Now let's hear from acting Indians manager Sandy Alomar Jr. You might be wondering uh, what, uh, what happened to Terry Francona. Terry Francona is going through some sort of medical procedure uh, at the Cleveland Clinic. Whenever Terry Francona is away from the team this year uh, due to a medical procedure, as happened earlier this year, Sandy Alomar Jr. fills in for him. So let's hear from the acting manager, Sandy Alomar Jr., talk about the potential of Tristan McKenzie, the Tribe rookie star- uh, rookie starter who got his first taste of big league action on Saturday night. Let's hear what he had to say before his first— before Tristan McKenzie's first start. And then uh, as a little tease for the next podcast, and then we will cover in the next podcast, what happened in Tristan Tristan McKenzie's first start. Could you
3: uh, talk about the Zimmer move and just how hard it is for these guys that aren't playing every day that that probably need a lot of the bets right now and and kind of what you guys are telling them to help them?
5: Yeah, it it was a hard move because, uh, you know, he had a great uh, camp camp. but he hasn't played last year he was uh, you know injured most of the year came out late uh, he needed to get some reps and uh, we were not going to be able to give it to him consistently here to the matchups and uh, Domingo Santana started swinging it bat better so you know McQueen came in so uh, you know that pass for him was gonna be limited so we you know give him the opportunity to go over there and uh, continue working and uh, in case we need him here he's, he's ready to go.
4: Andy, have you seen anything with with Jose Ramirez that's concerning at all, or just one of those stretches for him?
5: Uh, you know he's he's nursing a little bit of a thumb uh, up on the left side a little bit, but you know he, he he's been like that before. Uh, he plays with uh, when he's banged up, and uh, uh, he pushes himself. We just don't want him to to start you know messing up his his hitting mechanics when he's nursing something, but. At the end of the day, he goes out there and compete and uh, I'll take it, Jose Ramirez, even if he's 50%, I'm sure he'll, he'll figure it out and uh, he'll, he'll bust out of it. But he, he's okay. He just need to get a couple of hits and he'll be fine. Uh, I've seen him before when he start kind of like opening up a little bit too early or Something's causing him to change his mechanic, but uh, he'll he'll figure it out.
4: Andy, has there been uh, anything in in watching Matthew Boyd this year who's actually been you know really good against you guys in the past? I know he struggled this year. Uh, any challenges he particularly presents for you guys tonight?
5: Both well, in the past, uh, he he has some great outings against us. Uh, we have seen that he's you know he's been struggling. It's it's always bad to face a guy when when he struggled for three outings because you know he's he's due to bust out of it, but. Uh, you know, we uh we also have success against him. Uh, I just hope the guys come in ready to go today and uh put some good at bats. Uh, uh, I know that uh, earlier in his career he kind of abused us a little bit, but uh, with the last couple of years we we have some good games against him, so we're we really feeling
3: good. Sandy, what do you say about uh how the Tigers sometimes aggressively? have swung the bats against you guys last week where it seems like they're jumping early in the counts trying to swing at you guys?
5: Well, you see uh, our staff is a strikeout staff, and uh, not many hitters want to go. They, they don't want to go to the plate hitting with two strikes because we have uh, secondary pitches that can put you away. Uh, we, we know that. We saw out two years ago with Corey Kluber. Guys started kind of like a jump in on the first pitch could we try to attack the zone. But our guys uh, – our guys uh, can uh, manage that by trying secondaries early in the camp because they also can compete with that. So, uh, there's some adjustments we, we can make there and looking at video and, and, you know, looking at evaluation of the game, prior games and how they – how they swing it back with guys that have a, a high, uh, you know, swing at miss percentages. Uh but I, I think our guys will be okay with that.
4: Sandy with uh McKenzie and I apologize if you'd already answered this. Uh are you looking for a specific pitch count or just depth in the game or just kind of read and react with the situation?
5: We're just gonna have to evaluate the situation. Uh uh mostly is thrown as 85 pitches in the same game, so we uh that's that's the marker right there. Uh but you don't know when is that gonna come. <laughs> so uh we, we're expecting good things from him. you guys stay positive. He's, uh, he's a competitive kid, and uh, he's not afraid. So we'll see. We'll see until now. We have guys backing him up, and uh, hopefully we can score early and, and, you know, give him a breather.
4: Danny, does, does Tristan's body frame
5: remind you of any other pitchers that you can remember? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: no,
5: I uh... – uh, Pedro Martinez early in his career, old convoy. I don't know if you remember old convoy. He, oh, he, he was he was pretty he's pretty lean. I mean, <laughs> when I saw him walking yesterday, I was like I was surprised. By, man, he, he got talent. Sometimes uh, uh, the frames are deceiving. So here we have it.
4: How tough how tough can that be for a hitter? Or- when, I mean, he's got that wingspan, and so it seems like, does that help the fastball play up then? Because it gets to you a lot quicker than it, it
5: might seem? Well, the point of release is what mainly the hitters kind of kind of bothers the hitter. If you release the ball closer to the play, it seems like the ball's on top of you quicker. Sometimes not even the velocity, the spin rate can also help with that. The ball kind of have ride on, on you. Uh, it seems like the ball's quicker than normally is. So if you see the ball here, normally, but you see it's not there, it's here. So that's why you have all these wraps on and stuff like that It kind of teach also, I think offensively, teams can use that to uh, educate their hitters because uh, the rotation of the ball, it can give you an illusion. You know, you can definitely, you see it here, but the reality of the ball is over here, a couple of inches out there. So uh, no, you know that no round object goes up, but it gives you the illusion that it does. So, um, but yes, uh, wingspan can really uh, affect, you know, the release, you know, the release points close to the plate can give you an illusion a guy's throwing hard, and it really does.
0: That was Indians acting manager Sandy Alomar Jr. talking about how excited he was for Tristan McKenzie's first start in the major leagues. Again, he's a young phenom for the Indians, who who hadn't really pitched much in the minor leagues. We'll we'll get into more of that. We'll get into how his first start went in our next podcast, which, which will be released, hopefully hours after this one was as, as they're going to be released uh, consecutively uh, here on Apple Podcasts. So again, uh, my name is Peter Nabb. Thank you very much for listening to this, uh, to this first episode of rolling with the tribe. My name is Peter Nabb. Thank you very much for taking the opportunity to listen to, to rolling with the tribe here on Apple Podcasts, And I'll be back with you next time as we'll talk about Tristan McKenzie's first Major League start next time on Rolling with the Tribe right here on Apple Podcasts.